the goal is not to create a, you know, professionally and by professionally, I mean like Hollywood level of production, even if it's your business in the moment of the conversation, that's not your goal. You will get that in the editing process. That's the time to fuss and worry about that sort of thing. But right now, what you want to do is really focus all of your attention on the conversation that you're having with the other person. And it's almost meditative. When you notice your mind wandering back to the noisy breathing, or you're worried that you're saying um or ah or a filler word too many times, and that's pulling you out of the moment, you don't beat yourself up. Don't say, oh no, I'm doing it again. Just redirect back to the person. So you're constantly kind of course correcting your attention throughout the whole thing. Welcome to the Talking Silkworm Podcast, the go-to show for coaches and entrepreneurs seeking to build and grow their audiences by using the power of their voice. We provide valuable insights, advice, and resources to help you create a strong online presence and connect with your ideal audience. Whether you have a podcast, video channel, course, or any other type of content that involves your voice, with new episodes every week, you'll always have access to the latest strategies for taking your voice-based content to the next level. Are you ready to take action and start building your audience? Tune in and let us help you unleash the power of your voice. Have you ever been worried about you record yourself and then when you listen to the recording, you say, oh my God, I hate the sound of my own voice. I don't like it. It happens to everybody. Or have you ever been worried about using too many arms and as, or maybe too many repetitions or too many expressions that repeat over and over and over again? Are those going to make you sound unprofessional? Are those going to make you probably a target of criticism by your audience? Are those going to affect how people perceive your message? Well, let me tell you a good thing. Most times, they will not be noticed or they will not be relevant at all when you're delivering your message. But I understand, I understand this is still a concern for a lot of people. That's why we got the expert on this kind of subject. Her name is Lauren Sergi. Lauren is an expert in the art of speaking, public speaking particularly, and communication in business and at work. She's a speaker, she's a coach, she's a trainer, and she's worked with people from different parts of the world. So she helps understand the art, science, and alchemy of interpersonal communication and public speaking. And she will shed some light on difficult communication situations, such as the ones we are discussing right now, with a very, very cool energy, humor, and positive vibes. You're going to notice this interview was hella fun to record and you're going to find a lot of golden nuggets here. So you get out of your own way. You stop being concerned about your arms and ass and all these kind of little things. And of course, we are going to get some tips on how to make these kind of issues less common and less evident in our speech. So we're going to be talking about filler words, arms and ass, how to be more fluent when speaking in public, how to reduce the nervousness, how to reduce repeated words, full starts, crutch words, so and so. So without further ado, here is our interview with Lauren Sergey. 
I'm delighted to be here, David. Thank you for inviting me. Thank, thank you, thank you so much, Lauren. So uh, we are glad that you are a guest here today because uh, you're going to be addressing something that is so recurrent and, and it's a, such a common concern in podcasters. And it is um, the way they speak because mm -hmm. they freak out whenever they listen to their own voice in the recording and like a hundred things come up, you know? They, are, they start like, oh my God, I hate the sound of my own voice. And then they go, oh, my breathing is so loud. And then they go, oh, my, my lip smacks are so loud. And then, oh, I, I see a lot of ums and ass and you knows and all this. And they, they like, they cramp, like they curl up like a spring and they get so stressed out because they think the podcast is not going to sound professional because like I work with people who podcast for businesses and, and they're really stressed out about this and they like they get in their own way and this sometimes prevent them to actually move forward in their show. So I think the, the first question I, I'm going to ask you, Lauren, is how can you just chill out and relax when you are in front of a microphone? Like what, what is a good exercise or a good strategy for you to feel to feel comfortable in front of a mic? Well, to start with, it, it's a lot of this is mindset. A yes. lot of this has to do with mindset. And so whenever doing an interview, even even if you're if you're on stage giving a talk or if you're on if you're doing a TV interview or a podcast interview, whatever it is, your goal is to have a conversation with the other person. Mm -hmm. That is your entire goal. The goal is not to create a, you know, professionally and by professionally, I mean like Hollywood level of mm -hmm. production, even if it's your business, in the moment of the conversation, that's not your goal. You will get that in the editing process. That's the time to fuss and worry about that mm -hmm. sort of thing. But right now, what you want to do is really focus all of your attention on the conversation that you're having with the other person. And it's almost meditative. When you notice your mind wandering back to the noisy breathing or you're worried that you're saying um or ah or a filler word too many times and that's pulling you out of the moment, you don't beat yourself up. Don't say, oh, no, I'm doing it again. Just redirect back to the person. So you're constantly kind of course correcting your attention mm -hmm. throughout the whole thing. Another important thing to keep in mind is that the audience doesn't perceive these errors, these mistakes, yeah. nearly as much as you do. Everything that we do is so close, so near, so in our heads. And I can tell you from vast experience in speaking that things like ums and ahs, we don't notice as much as we mm -hmm. think other people do. Yes. The noisy breathing. Well, if both people are breathing loudly, then who cares? No, it's going to filter into background noise very, very short, very quickly for the audience. Even making little slips of the tongue, um, messing up, messing up a name, saying a word wrong, needing to repeat yourself. Those are all normal human communication habits that we do mm -hmm. when we're talking with one another. So people don't hear mistakes the same way that we think they do. They don't hear perfection the same way that we want to be perfect. So letting go of that side of things is really important. Now, that being said... <laughs> You will get nervous. You will but, get nervous. You will. Okay. But. Yeah, I, I, I was expecting the but. But here it comes. When the nerves do take over, I find that the quickest way of dealing with them is 
through deep breathing. So this mm-hmm. is a counted style of breathing. What you want to do is swat a question or a comment back to the other person who you're speaking to. Let them take the reins for five seconds. And then it's in through the nose. You want deep diaphragmatic breaths as I'm gesturing, even though I know people can't see it. Mm-hmm. Deep diaphragmatic breaths right around your belly button, low in the body. In for a count of three, out for a count of five. You want to do that bre- that breathing cycle. If you can do it twice, even better. But that slow, and I'm doing it noisily so that you can hear it, mm-hmm. is enough to start to lower your heart rate. And if you can do it a couple of times, that's even better. You can be talking while you breathe out, but then that in-breath again, slow, one, two, three, through the nose, that's going to drop down your heart rate. When your heart rate lowers, your blood pressure lowers, your breathing evens out, and your brain can start to pull itself out of panic mode. Mm -hmm. So you're almost tricking your body and your brain into thinking that you're calmer than you really are. And this is a technique that I frequently use on stage, uh, that I will use if doing a TV interview, that I certainly use if I feel like I'm scrambling when I'm doing, when I'm running my own interview and I'm interviewing other people. And I'm like, where is this going? Breathe in, breathe out, get centered again, and then move on. But really, it really does come down, focus on the conversation, focus on the other person. The microphone isn't there, nothing else matters. Okay, uh, I, I want to follow up with what you just said. And you still, I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. You're an expert at this, but you do still get nervous sometimes. Oh, you bet I do. So I think it's also important to take into account that this is a natural reaction because we are setting ourselves in an, in an environment that may, maybe we are not familiar with. Yep. And you need to embrace that as part of the process. It does, it's not something that you can eliminate. Uh, I mean, it's, it gets easier. Of course, like the, the more you practice, but you need to embrace that it's going to be there. It's just part of like how human people react to different situations. It really is. And, you know, when we think about communicating in front of an audience and speaking to an audience, we are intentionally putting ourselves into what our brain sees as a vulnerable position. We are letting people focus on us. If it's live, you've got all Mm -hmm. of these eyeballs looking at you, which is very nerve wracking. But even in a situation like this, where we're recording and, you know, it's just you and I right now, of course, it'll be the listeners very soon. But right now, it's just you and I. We still feel that pressure of being on stage, of being in the center of attention. And for Mm -hmm. most people, that's very vulnerable. That's very uncomfortable. This is like back of the brain, like caveman brain sort of reaction. So it's normal. For people to get nervous. Yeah. Um, I, I, of course, work, I am an associate of a lot of professional speakers. We spend a lot of time in front of audiences. Yes, we get nervous, sometimes more than others. You know, if something was going wrong with the talk or there was a technology failure or we're just tired because you had a bad night, mm-hmm. you might be more likely to get nervous. And other times you go out as cool as a cucumber, but it will vary. So don't be upset if you do get nervous. That is normal. There's nothing wrong with you. I was thinking of that recently. I was recording a um, an interview for my own YouTube channel. And I was so, so, I, I was really worked up about interviewing this person. It was a sensitive topic. Um, I deeply respect the woman that uh, that I was interviewing. I really wanted to create a good experience for her. So I got myself all worked up before the interview. And then 
the interview started. I was good to go. And she said, oh, by the way, my name is pronounced Tanya, not Tanya. And I had been recording the pre-show <laughs> saying Tanya and that little difference, that little thing. She wasn't upset. She wasn't mad at me that I had mispronounced her name. But that little thing, it's Tanya, not yeah. Tanya, threw me off like you wouldn't believe. We had to record her introduction like five different times because I kept screwing up and I'm swearing to myself. And then my brain's like, you you really want to make a good impression on her, Lauren. What are you doing? Which just spiraled out of control. So I took a second. I breathed. We laughed about it and we moved on. Yes. yes and yes. by the end, it was great. Yeah, I think it's as you as you mentioned a few seconds ago. It's focus on the conversation. Focus yeah. on the conversation. I think These something similar happened to me a few days ago. I, I interviewed uh, Joe Pulitzi, who Ooh. is a very well-known author. Maybe you know him. Yep. Uh, I know his work, and, and I was fangirling. Literally, I was fangirling <laughs> before the interview, and I was like, like, "Okay, I gotta chill out. I gotta relax. <laughs> I gotta behave. I gotta be a grown man here." And I was able like to to relax and, and like to bring my anxiety anxiety down a bit, and and then it was like two people talking and having like it was a really fine, a very nice conversation. We laughed, we exchanged ideas, and it was a very natural conversation. So, I th and, and and the other thing I want to point out, Lauren, is like in my experience because I, I was a teacher. Okay, there, there are two things. I'm an introvert. And, and, and I was a teacher, so like there was a kind of a clash there because yeah. you have to face uh, audiences very often. Uh, th that nervousness fades away after three minutes or five minutes. Like, it, goes it goes away. down or disappears. It, it goes the, away. Yes. Your brain recognizes that you're not in immediate danger. Yes. There is no tiger in the room salivating, ready to eat you. Mm -hmm. And then the nervousness goes away. It's those first few minutes where it's most intense. And that yes. is, that's the truth with just about everyone. Um, yes. What I find is that many, many people who enjoy what we're doing right now, or they enjoy speaking, they enjoy that content creation. What others see as nervous, what others experience as nervous, they experience as excitement. Mm -hmm. So one reframing technique that I really like that you'll hear in a lot of circles, actually, is that when your heart's pounding, when you're feeling all fluttery and you're saying, oh, this is awful, I'm so nervous, I'm about to screw up, those fluttery feelings, that heart pounding, that is the exact same physiological response that we get when we're really excited about something. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to go skiing, you're going to hit the slopes ready to fly down that mountain at, you know, 30 kilometers an hour or something. It's the same physiological reaction. So if you can tie the nervousness to something positive. You're like, oh, yeah. my heart's pounding, but it's it's just like when I when I went, um, I don't know, skateboarding down that crazy thing, or it's when I was sitting in my last action movie that was so fun. That's the experience I'm having now. You can almost, re you can reframe, you can reinterpret your nervousness as something that's, that means something good. Mm -hmm. And that's when you kind of become a bit of an adrenaline junkie doing this and you get real yeah. hooked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you learn, you learn to channel those emotions like, yes. and, and, and transform them into something that favor you. Exactly. You interpret it the way you want to interpret it. So now you're back in control. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, drifting a little bit from this topic into, into uh, uh, another that is connected, which is uh, filler words. Lauren. Uh, and this is a big concern for many of my clients because uh, like they are afraid that they are not going to sound professional because they use a lot of ums and ahs. Uh, and as we already mentioned, or you already mentioned, 
these are just part of natural speech. Okay. Uh, I, I have a background in linguistics, so I learned that the brain naturally filters out those sounds that are not conveying any information. Like you filter them out. Like they happen all the time. And when you're having a conversation, you're not listening to the ums and ass. You're perceiving the message because the, the brain just filters out everything else. Not even the ums and ass, but like the surrounding noise, the traffic noise, birds, other people talking, etc. Like that thing is blocked and you only focus on the message. But I, I understand like people still get a, a, like very, very concerned about this. Filler words are natural and they are like they have meanings and functions in language. And th that's mm -hmm. something like a lot of people don't know. Like they are used for different like they they have a place in communication. So why, why don't you tell us a little bit in general terms what filler words are and like some examples? Uh, when you said that your linguistics background, I got very nerdy. Like, yes, um, I, did, I don't have a full linguistics background, but I did take several linguistics courses and we called them non-meaningful verbal utterances. Mm -hmm. How's that for a big old mouthful of words? And it is <laughs> the way that one of my profs taught us is that it's, it's your brain's way of making your mouth stop talking mm -hmm. so it can take half a second to think about what it wants to say. So that was that I've always found very, very useful. It's literally a pause in speech yeah. so you can find the next word. That's what they are. Now, they're very similar to what I also call crutch words, which are things like so or people say and every five seconds as a, as a way of trying to bridge the gap in their words. Yes, one can overcome them. Yes, they are absolutely a natural part of language, but the I interpret them as being problematic when other people are telling you that you do it too often. Yes. When it's so often that it's now affecting other people, you frequently hear this. Um, I'm Canadian and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his and his father before him, Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau, are infamous for this. Absolutely infamous for ums and ahs. And it does become distracting after a while. They use them so frequently. Barack Obama is frequently criticized for this as well. So if other people are saying, you gotta pull back, then you have an issue. And the other marker is that if you're doing them so often that it's a point of deep anxiety for you, if, if yeah. those things are making you nervous, then you want to deal with it. If it's just like, oh, it'd be nice to be polished. Eh, don't worry about them. With the ums and ahs, and this is uh, this is something that I learned in in years of uh, of acting training, because it's your brain's way of trying to find the word. Pause, and let your brain find the word. Mm -hmm. As soon as you feel that um or that ah or whatever your filler word is, it might be a hmm, whatever it is. As soon as you feel your mouth start to make the shape, and it's like your throat starts to make the sound, you close your mouth. Mm -hmm. And you take a breath in through the nose. So it might be something like, you know, uh, David, I'm really, really curious about your, your setup there. I see that you've got a pretty advanced mic. Mm -hmm. What is that mic? What might it do? So I, I started to, uh, and then close the mouth, take the breath in through the nose. That gives you that silence where you can think. It gives you that pause. It gives you the breath to get the brain flow, uh, to get the blood flowing to your brain again. And from the audience's perspective, it can actually sound very wise and thoughtful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was one of those great secrets. When you yes, can yes, be yes, silent yes. for a minute to think about that next word, the audience often just leans in even more. Like, ooh. 
Yeah. They Silence know. is important as well. Yeah. So important. And now that you touch on that, there is another another uh, issue that, oh, like, another part that a lot of my clients are concerned about is, oh, there were a lot of silences, a lot of silences and a lot of dead spaces. Oh. But silence has meaning. Yes. Silence has meaning as well. Oh, God, I love you. <laughs> we've got we've got something going on here, David. It does. Silence has meaning. I like to say that silence modifies a message. Yes. It does so many things. It can it the weight of that silence can create implications. It gives the audience time to think and understand, to actively think about what it is you're saying. So yes. it gives them a minute to catch up with you which is really important, especially if you don't want your audience to feel overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Silence is an important part of that. It brings cadence and rhythm into our speech. It makes it more interesting to listen to. And if you use it well, it can create tension. Mm -hmm. So you, you stop, you, you say something that you want to be enormously witty. And then you pause right before you deliver the really witty thing. And then you say that punchline or that joke or whatever, yeah. or that profound statement. Yes. During the pause, the tension in the audience is building up. And then it's broken when you say the when you say the big payoff sentence or the big payoff word. And that is very satisfying to an audience. It's one, it's actually a critical, critical part of stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. You build the tension. And then you break the tension, you deliver the payoff. And the great thing is, is that in those moments of silence, you can be doing things like breathing because you feel yourself starting to freak out or thinking because you've lost your train of thought or pausing because now you're using too many filler words and you want to kind of suppress one. But the audience interprets it very differently. Yes, absolutely. I, I work with uh, health and wellness coaches uh, and what like sometimes in their interviews they have to ask difficult questions because like they have to talk about trauma or like these these life experiences and it's different if the person like if the host asks the questions and there is there is a five second silence that means there is a tension that there is a struggle on the guest side to be able to answer that mm -hmm. and that's meaningful yeah. if i get to cut that silence and make it one second a lot of that emotional thing is going to be lost yeah, um, that that display, that demonstration that you're actively thinking mm -hmm. or that you're struggling to find the right words. Like you yes. said, it's deeply meaningful. It yes. increases the connection with the audience. It's actually a rhetorical technique that's mm -hmm. like codified in Roman rhetoric. I'm a bit of a rhetoric geek. In mm -hmm. Roman rhetoric, that display, that demonstration that you're thinking, that you're wrestling with something to say, that's something that they would practice doing because the impact on the audience is so powerful. So don't be afraid if you're asked a tough question in an interview yeah, or if you're asking a tough question, do not be afraid to let that silence hang. Just let it be there. Yeah, that sounds great. That's I, I think this is something, this episode is something I'm going to share with all of my clients as soon as we finish recording and we publish it <laughs> because it's critical. Like, you won't believe how many times people are concerned about these issues that are actually on the one side natural and the on the other side meaningful to the conversation. Like they, that yeah. make, makes part 
of what is being conveyed. And we have like these um like the verbal communication and the nonverbal communication. I think this is probably part of the nonverbal communication that also adds to to, to the to the um, whole interaction, particularly in podcasting, which is a format where you don't have that visual cue of, of what's going on. That's very true. Without the visual cues in podcasting, you know, people worry about those silences, about the dead air. God mm-hmm. forbid there be dead air. That was yeah. something when I was in radio, that was something that we worked against all the yes. time. But here's a great example. Of course, the, the, the goddess of all interviewers. If you watch Oprah Winfrey when interview someone, mm-hmm. the frequency with which she lets that silence hang there is incredible. And you can turn the visual off. You can close your eyes and just listen to it. And it is equally effective in audio only as it mm-hmm. is audio video. Absolutely. Lauren, going back to the filler words and crotch words, uh, that can be overused at a point that they become problematic and interrupt the flow of the idea. What are some exercises or strategies people can implement in their everyday lives to start reducing this? Because, like uh, as you mentioned, one, like they are, they can be originated originated for several reasons by several reasons. Anxiety can be one of them. Nervousness or just like the habit of using them. So, what could people do in order to start reducing them? I'm a big fan of practicing these techniques as frequently as you possibly can. So to mm-hmm. me, every conversation, every interaction, whether you're in front of the podcasting microphone or at the grocery store or with your family, those are all opportunities to practice and you should be taking them frequently because if you can mm-hmm. if you can practice this sort of stuff and I will give you specific examples if you can practice them regularly throughout the day in just little little drips and drabs yeah. It becomes habitual. So it's easier then to implement when you're actually performing, when you're on microphone, when you're on camera or whatever. Mm-hmm. First thing is I want people to start recognizing when they are most prone to using a lot of filler words. So if suddenly in a conversation you find yourself umming and eyeing nonstop, take a second to check in with your brain. What's your brain doing? Is it nervous? Is it spinning out of control? Is it that you've lost your train of thought? What's your body doing? Is your heart pounding? Are you starting to feel really jittery? Those physical and mental clues that they tend to happen just a second or two before all of the filler words come out. So if you can learn to recognize that, oh no, my brain is spinning. Now you can go into the, I'm going to watch for those filler words mode. You can focus on tamping them down on closing your mouth instead of letting them come out. So I use those physical cues as kind of an early warning sign. Mm-hmm. The next thing is that that's technique that I learned um, in film acting. And that was when you feel it start, you close your mouth. So this takes a lot of self-awareness. This is why it takes regular practice. As soon as you recognize the vibration in your throat, you close your mouth, take a breath and then speak again. And I want, again, I want you to be doing this many times throughout the day. Uh, those two in combination really, really help. Third thing that you can practice is simply slowing down how quickly you speak. Yeah. Yeah. Because of course, when we are nervous, our mouth speeds up as yes. well. And then the mouth is running faster than the brain can run. If you can slow down your mouth, then you're going to be able to control that a lot more easily. 
Now, how slow should you go? That's going to depend on what language it is you're speaking in. English mm-hmm. and Germanic languages are very slow languages. So yeah. I would not want to be speaking any faster than I'm speaking right now. If you're, uh, what, what's your first language, David? Spanish, super fast. Super fast, <laughs> yeah. super fast. So what is slow to a Spanish speaker is not going to be as slow to an English speaker. So yes. slow down for you, for your language. The way that I put this to my public speaking students is to go twice as slow as you think you should and then slow down again. Okay. <laughs> very scientific, right? Very, very scientific. Um, it's It will feel really awkward at first, but you'll get used to it. A way to help yourself slow down is to overpronounce things ever so slightly. So just overpronounce each word, even if you're speaking in your first language, ever so slightly, because that's going to that forces you to slow down mm-hmm. just a little bit. Yeah. One of the exercises I do for that is literally to get people to bite a wine cork <laughs> in between their teeth. You you bite on. I don't have my cork. I do have my cork. You do have one. That. Okay. You have it. So for everyone who is listening, I have a wine cork in front of me, and I'm going to put it in between my front teeth, uh, about two centimeters. Well, maybe like one centimeter in like this. And then you speak around the cork. Okay. It is really hard to do, but it forces you to enunciate more clearly and slow down. So then when you take it out, you can feel every muscle in your mouth and you try to keep that slow, clear enunciation. That slowing is going to help you get control of your filler words. It helps so much. So if you find it hard to slow down, literally put a cork in it, stick a Mm -hmm. cork between your teeth and talk around it. And then you'll develop that, that skill of doing that. One more thing that I want people to watch out for for filler words is so and and. Mm-hmm. Those two words we tend to use instead of periods at the end of sentences, instead of a full stop at the end of a sentence. So if you find yourself saying so a lot or and a lot, I want you to focus on the sentence that you're saying in your head, visualize it really, really clearly and picture the period at the end, picture that full stop dot. Then you're going to drive all of your focus and all of your attention towards that full stop. When you hit it, hit it hard and pause, and then say your next sentence. That will help you mentally slow down again and will help filter out some of those filler words that we use instead of a proper transition. All of this takes practice. Oh my God. Yes, 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 absolutely. Like if you did do this once, it's not gonna give you it's any not results. It's work. It's something you have to do constantly, I don't know, practice yeah. before an interview or like, I don't know, a few times a day or a few days a week. Whenever but, it occurs to you. Yeah. Whenever it occurs to you and try different techniques, try the cork, try just thinking slow down twice as much, then slow down again. Um, Try the the pause and the breathe. Try out a bunch of different things until you find what works for you and Mm -hmm. then practice it one minute here, one minute there. Hello there. Sorry for the interruption, but I'm sure you'll appreciate this. We are always creating new tools and resources to help you improve your craft as a podcaster. A manual for your podcast guests to sound and look better? We've got it. A content calendar template to organize your show? We've got that too. 
a guide to buy the best recording equipment without breaking the bank? Yes, we've got that as well. We even have a course on how to record podcasts. Get your hands on these resources today at TalkingSilkworm.com resources. We're constantly updating this page with new tools and resources just for you. Remember, TalkingSilkworm.com resources. All right, that's it for this special message. Now let's get back to the episode. While you were speaking, I was like taking a lot of notes here. So I would like to go back to some of the like, topics you mentioned. Uh, slowing down, uh, it's, it has been very effective for me because I try to rush, even in my, in my native language, I try to rush a lot. And I've noticed that slowing down helps me speak better because I have more time to think about what I'm going to say. Or if I don't find the right word, I can find a different word or different expression. So it gives me more time and it helps me be clear in my speech. Yep. So that's helped a lot. And, and I, I didn't know why people would uh, speed up when speaking when they were nervous. And it's because a lot of times they fear they are going to lose the other person's attention if they don't give all the information quickly. Uh, or, or maybe they feel that what they have to offer in terms of information is not valuable enough. So when, when you slow down, it, like, it helps you reassure what you are conveying is important and is valuable to the other, other person. And like the, you're going to have their attention there. Yeah. Uh, overpronouncing, I have to do that all the time <laughs> <laughs> because, because English is not my native um is that my native uh, language? It's not. It's not even a second language. It's a foreign language. Like everybody, if we go out, everybody's going to be speaking Spanish. Um, so I do need to overpronounce that, and it's, it helps. It, it believe me, it helps. It, it helps me slow down as well. And, and enunciation exercises, I haven't done that, but I'm going to get a cork. Okay, <laughs> uh, that's going to be a good excuse to buy a good couple bottles of wine. Exactly. And it sometimes helps if you drink the wine first, because, wow, using the cork, you're going to feel like a complete twit while you're doing it. I spent many years, many years with uh, with acting stuff with a, with a cork jammed in between my teeth, just developing that skill. It's it, this is actually something that's used in speech language pathology as well. Oh my in God, order okay. to in order to overcome um, some speech difficulties. So it's it's not well it's weird but it's not unheard of <laughs> that sounds good that sounds good okay caution here to those listening please do not get drunk before recording okay it's just for the yes. cork just for the just cork. the cork just okay. the cork all right so i know what i'm gonna do after recording is just go get a couple of bottles of wine red wine <laughs> uh and, and the other thing i do lauren is uh i do some warm-up exercises they look really silly and they sound really silly, but they have proven to be very effective so I can speak more freely uh, in my interviews. I do like uh, the and all that, yep. I like tone up, tone down, uh, tongue twister, the Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled peppers, all these things, massage my face to help my, my muscles, my face muscles relax. And, and when I start speaking after doing this, I do feel it's a lot easier for me just to flow with the conversation. Yep. Everything's warmed up. It's all limbered up and ready to go. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I think that's that's something uh, singers do. I don't know. Like, probably public speakers do as well. And uh, stand-up comedians do a lot. Yep. And that's something we should all do before recording or before having an, an interview online. 
Yes, um, it also helps reduce vocal fatigue and uh, vocal cord damage. I've been doing mm -hmm. a lot of looking into this lately because with uh, not not being able to be on stage at all, I'm used to a pretty 50-50 mix of live audiences and sitting and recording at home. I had gotten out of the practice of doing those kinds of warm-ups and of just practicing good vocal cord hygiene. So mm -hmm. you can hear it when I'm when I get tired, my voice gets really gravelly. Oh, yeah. That happens with a lot of people, but it was starting to get painful. So looking into those uh, those singer warm-up exercises work really well. I've been doing a lot of speaking and vocalizing into straws because that helps mm -hmm. you that helps you bring the sound where it needs to be in the front of your face yeah. instead of trying to force your vocal cords. I've been working on a little bit of vocal rehab there myself. So this is this is ongoing practice that we do throughout our speaking careers throughout our recording careers. Yes, it's like yes, yoga. Yes. It's a practice. It's a practice. So before I move on to the next question, I will also like also like to add hydration. It's very important. Hydration. Water, water. I always have a cup of water next to me. So that does help a lot, like to keep your your throat clear when you're talking. Uh, Lauren, so moving from the arms and ass and all this, there is also the situation where we know what we want to say. Okay, we we uh, we were asked a question. We know what we want to say, but we just can't find the words or we can't remember the right term or, ex or expression to do it. We get stuck or we <laughs> fear that we are going to run out of things to say. So how can you work around this? Like you just go blank. You forget the word, forget the expression, forget the answer. How can you manage that? If you're an interviewee and you and you get really stuck, you go absolutely blank. Ask the interviewer to rephrase the question. Mm -hmm. It's always acceptable to do that. Like you do yeah. have a little bit of control as the interviewee here, which is really wonderful. So you can say something like, um, you know, could you sorry, David, could you say, could you ask me that question again? I kind of went blank there. Admit it. Be honest. We all go blank time to time. But I really like saying, uh, what made you think of that question? What situation do you have in mind that's prompted that question? Mm -hmm. And then that gives them a time to basically prompt you for the sort of thing that they're looking for you to say. So it'll give you a hint as to what to say. Um, asking for examples, asking them to phrase it differently. That's all very, very effective. From a response standpoint, if you need to say something, and you can't think of the right words. First up, admit that you're struggling to find the words because again, that's a human experience. Yeah. It's going to make you seem more authentic and more relatable to the audience. But it also mentally gives yourself permission to struggle with it so that you're not thinking, oh, I'm such an idiot. I can't believe I forgot what I wanted to say. Just put it out there. You know, I'm struggling to find the words right now. It's something kind of like this. And then use an analogy. Say what it's like. And if you can't think of the exact thing that you wanted, talk about something that's really similar to it or that's adjacent to it. And often mm -hmm. I find that when you come in with those spontaneous analogies, by the end of your analogy or by the end of the story, you've got the words. Mm -hmm. And you can summarize it and then get that thought out. So it took you a little while to get there. As you would say in comedy, that was a long walk to that final answer. But you'll have gotten there. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And now that we're speaking about interviews, um, there is another situation that happens sometimes is that interviews, either if you are like being a host or a guest, they feel robotic. Uh, it's just like question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. And it, it might feel a little bit dull if we have like an interview like that. How can we help ourselves to make our interviews either on the, in the role of the host or of, or of the guest? How can we make him a little bit more of a conversation and mm -hmm. not just a question answer dialogue? Very, very good question. On the part of the host and for, for all listeners, this is something that both David and I do. We treat the questions as an outline, yeah. not as a rote script. If you go in with the attitude that I have to ask these exact questions every single time, then yes, it will start to become formulaic or robotic. The questions are simply prompts to help a conversation along. Focus on having the conversation. Yeah. Um, and that is part of the reason why I don't like the a, a bit of advice that you'll hear from some podcasters to have the same five questions for all your guests all the time. That I don't is like a, that. I hate that. That is a recipe for a robotic conversation. You might have the same wrap-up question every time. I always ask at the end, how can people find more about you? How can people mm -hmm. find you online? Where can they get your stuff? I always ask that question. But aside from that, each interview is created on its own volition because I'm asking the interviewee to come on board because they have specialized knowledge that my audience cares about. So yeah. make specialized questions. This is yeah. a conversation. It's not difficult. Um, but yeah, don't treat those questions that you created as sacrosanct. If you find a line, if someone said, if your interviewee says something that you just want to grab and run with, grab it and run with it, embrace that spontaneity, and then find your way back to your overall plan. That might mean that you need to cut out a question or two on the fly mm -hmm. because maybe the interview is running too long or because they were answered or because they simply no longer fit. That's fine. Yes. You can do that. I like to keep it on a piece of paper in front of me so I can literally scratch them out as I'm going along. You can do that. That will keep it conversational. Stay curious. Be genuinely curious about what your interviewee is saying, because then you'll notice those moments of just of serendipity where you can say, oh, they said something beautiful. I want to explore that more. From the interviewee standpoint, and this especially goes for people who are fairly green at interviews, who are fairly new at it, avoid the urge to script your answers. That doesn't mm -hmm. mean that you don't prepare for the interview. I always review interview questions. I always think about what it is I can say in response, but I avoid scripting and I avoid practicing my responses. This is the only time, by the way, the only time you will hear me say avoid over practice because for public speaking, you want to practice that talk nine ways from Sunday. Um, but with interviews, you want to keep some of that conversational feel, which means not scripting it. Mm -hmm. So if you're preparing for an interview and you're sitting down and you're wordsmithing an answer, I want to say these words. I want to put it exactly like this. This is the exact word I'm going to use. You are setting yourself up for going blank in the head yeah. because when the interviewer asks that question or if the interviewer does what they should, which is keep it conversational and vary the questions, your brain won't be focused in on the engagement, on the inter in interaction you're having with the other person, it will be going, oh no, what was that exact sentence I had so carefully memorized and now need to say? 
it's going to go into memorization and recitation mode, yes. which will fry your brain out right away. So don't worry about being perfect. Don't script your answers. Don't focus on saying this exact thing at this exact moment because you have to stay fluid. This is a conversation. It's a conversation. Yeah. Relax and enjoy it. Yes, and I've learned. Uh, I've learned to to get that mindset whenever I'm uh, either a guest or a host. It's not so much like I'm going to have an interview with this person. Is I'm going to have a fun conversation, a fun and a fun and enriching conversation with this person. And we end up just like you and me. We laugh. We crack jokes. We get off topic a little bit. Then we go back to the topic, and it's really, really nice. Like it, after you you finish a conversation. You end up feeling like with like I don't know with that dopamine injection or something yeah. like that because you re you feel so nice it feels so nice because you just had a lot of fun with a complete stranger that now felt like a friend. Exactly, and this isn't to say that there's no structure to the interview. Like I yeah. said, this isn't to say that we don't prepare for it. Absolutely, and you do want to be keeping a bit of a mental track on both the interviewer and the interviewee side. Keep a mental track of, mm -hmm. hey, is this going in the direction I wanted it to go? Is this is is what we're talking about still relevant? Is mm -hmm. the answer that I'm giving still relevant, or am I going off on a crazy tangent here? Keep that keep that filter running in your mind. Mm -hmm. And then if you find that you're going way off topic, okay, look back to those questions that you had prepared mm -hmm. and bring it back on topic. For the most part, and this is a this is something that I recommend to people who are really nervous about being interviewed, the interviewer's job is to make sure that things progress in a way that works for the audience. Yeah. Trust them to do their job. You don't need to be in control. You can relinquish control and be purely in the moment as the mm -hmm. interviewee because the interviewer will bring you back to where you need to be. And by that same token, don't try to do that for them because you're making their <laughs> life a lot harder if you do. Yes, 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 yes. No, it's, it's, it's nice. And now that you say that, yeah, it's totally right. The, the host's job is to keep things on track. So as I guess you should just relax. Relax. And go with the flow. Relax. Go the, the interviewee flow. has the easy job. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because as a host, like before we, for example, before we got to book you, we had to do a lot of research and prepare the questions and arrange things. Um, so actually, like, like the interview is like what takes us uh, the least amount of time. is the, yeah. the, the before and the after is what will take the most time to work on. Now, Lauren, let's move from interviews to solo episodes. And this is like probably the, the, my, my, my final question here. Um, okay, when we are in an interview, it's easy to have like this fun interaction and to be more natural when you speak. But we, when you're recording solo, people are very concerned that they are going to, to sound dull, boring, flat. Uh, and sometimes it happens. Let me tell you, like sometimes it happens. I, so if we are recording, for example, a 10 or a 20 minute solo episode, how can we try to keep it entertaining or engaging? Mm -hmm. um, keeping that entertainment and that engagement going on in there is really a factor of keeping the audience firmly forefront in mind. It might be a solo episode, but you are still talking to mm -hmm. a group of people. They yeah. aren't in front of you right now, but they will be. So picturing them, visualizing them very strongly helps to bring out some of those performance pieces 
that you want to do. Something to note about solo episodes is that they need to be treated as standalone presentations or standalone talks that you're giving. So they mm -hmm. have to have a logical flow. They have to, they're going to be much more scripted, much more practiced, I find, than with interviews, of course, because you have to make sure that you're staying on track. But I also recommend that people practice their delivery before recording it. Don't just write out your presentation or write out your episode, sit down, hit record and go at it in one in one take without having practiced it. Think of what sort of emotions it is you're trying to convey at all times. At this point of my episode, what is the audience feeling? What do I want them to feel? What do I need them to feel? How can I create that feeling through my voice, through my cadence, through my pauses? And then practice that, say it out loud, see how it feels, then move on to the next section at the same time. Uh, sorry, right afterwards, what does my audience need to feel here? How am I going to convey that through my voice? And then you practice it. So you're always keeping in mind that performance aspect, that emotional aspect yeah. of the episode of what it is you're saying. You need a great deal of variety in your voice to pull this off. So many people are worried about overdoing it. Don't. Don't worry. So it is so unusual for me to have to tell someone, whoa, you need to pull it back there a little bit. This is getting a little over the top. Normally, I'm pushing for people to go more, 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 more drama, longer pauses, more impact, yeah. higher variations in your pitch, in the drop and the fall of the pitch, as it's going to sound it's it's going to be dampened to your audience. It always sounds bigger in your own head than it does to the yeah. people who are listening to it. So make sure that you put real effort into that performance. Overdo it a little bit. You probably won't regret it in the end. I'm not saying go full Tony Robbins on people. That isn't <laughs> that isn't always what we're going for. But do make sure that you dress up that performance a little bit. Uh, while you're recording, it can really help to be physical. If yeah. you're naturally a physical talker, um, and it tends to be quite cultural, like certain cultures, like we know the Italians oh, love yeah. to wave their hands Tell around. Me, I'm Latino. Tell me about it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wonderfully physical, physical speakers. Many, um, many Arabic speakers, same thing. They're very, very physically expressive. That's a good thing. Wave your arms around while you're recording your solo ex, uh, while you're recording your solo, um, See, I just lost the word episode. There we go. While you're recording your solo episode, wave your arms around. Let your body dictate where your voice is going to go. If you're physically expressive, get really worked up because your voice will follow. People will be able to hear that physical engagement. Yeah. It's a wonderful thing to do. It really does help make things more interesting. Yeah, it's worked for me a lot uh, to to use my body language. Even though I'm sitting, I try to use my arms and hands sometimes, and it helps me uh, unwind and, and feel more comfortable. Uh, and also, I also visualize like I'm. I don't think I'm recording into a mic, but that I'm speaking to a person, and that helps me a lot with like the the tone, like the the modalities, the tonalities, all this. It helps me a lot. And then and um, intentionally, I do kind of exaggerate sometimes the tones or the silences or the pauses or the high pitch or the low pitch, because I'm aware I need to compensate for the body language because it all like the body language also communicates a lot, which is not being like transmitted through audio. So I need to compensate for that through a little bit of like making some things more evident, which as you mentioned at the end are not going to be so evident for the listener. 
Yep, that's a that's a beautiful point. Um, someone who's really good to listen to for this actually is uh, Seth Godin with his Akimbo podcast. Mm-hmm. And I bring him up specifically because his if you watch any YouTube um, keynote of his, there's pl- plenty of his keynotes are available on YouTube. He does a lot of vocal variation. He does a lot of physical gesture. His Akimbo podcast, he's much calmer in his vocal stylings. So he doesn't have as much up-down variation in his pitch. But what he milks, what makes it work, what makes it interesting, are these big pauses, these big silences that he does. When he wants to emphasize something, he can't gesture the emphasis. So he'll emphasize a word by overpronouncing it. Mm-hmm. So he'll talk, 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 and then overpronounce one word. So that you know, oh, that's a big point of emphasis. Mm -hmm. That's how he brings in his form of vocal color. I am very up down. I love to vary my pitch. I'm all over the place when I speak. So that's how I bring in a lot of vocal color. But practice with, try out different ways of doing it. If you're recording a lot of solo, a lot of solo episodes and you'll find the style that works for you. Yes. uh, Through practice, I think, and, and that's something that happened to me. And I think through everybody else, you get to develop your own style. Style at the, at the beginning, you might want to sound like somebody else or you might sound a little bit robotic, but then it's just you yep. having a conversation. You'll get there. You will yeah. find your way. And by the way, you'll always feel weird listening to yourself. <laughs> That's why I never edit my always. own. I never edit my own episodes, like my own recordings. I never edit them. I have somebody else in my team. I could do it. I know how to do it. I just don't do it for my own recordings. <laughs> Okay, Lauren, uh, this has been very, very fun, very entertaining, as well as super educational. Really appreciate all these knowledge bombs you have brought to us today. Uh, as I told you, I'm probably going to be sending this to every single of my clients, like people who contact me or who ask me questions. I'm just, just going to tell them, okay, I'm not going to send you an answer. I'm just going to send you a link to this podcast episode, listen to all of it. And then come back at me if you have any further questions. Wonderful. So I uh, <laughs> really appreciate all, all the information you've, you've shared with us today. And, and there is something else uh, for those listening, and I'm sure they're going to be interested, is that you have a new book. Yes. You have a book. Oh, oh! I wish I could yeah. wave it around in front of me, but it's yeah. uh, it's it's in layout with the publisher right now. <laughs> so, of oh, course, okay. depend, depending on when people are listening to it, the new book is called Unmute. How to Master Virtual Meetings and Reclaim Your Sanity. And this was absolutely written in response to the fact that with the pandemic, all of these companies that had never really used virtual meetings were piling on and people are got, have gotten burned out <laughs> from yeah. virtual meetings. So it's your soup to nuts. It's your top to bottom guide for making virtual meetings better, for sounding better, looking better, having them just be more organized and making them work within your life so that you're not getting burned out by meeting after meeting after meeting. Okay, Lauren, so can you please repeat the name of the book and where is going to be available for us to purchase? Yes, uh, the name of the book is Unmute, How to Master Virtual Meetings and Reclaim Your Sanity. And Mm -hmm. it will be available to purchase through pretty much all online book retailers. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble, if you're in Canada, it's uh, Chapters Indigo. Mm -hmm. Um, Whatever your preferred book retailer is, it will be available through there starting um, probably beginning of August. Mm -hmm. Any any paperback or hardcover versions or or just online? 
paperback. There will be there will be a pa- there will be a hardcover version, but I imagine that most people will prefer the paperback price point. <laughs> I always do. Yes, paperback uh, will be available. Paperback, hardcover, or ebook. Okay, okay, that sounds great. So for people who want to go get the book, we're going to give you the links to uh, to subscribe for the notification there in the show notes. And if people want to know more about you, about how they can improve their public speaking skills or like they, they want to become better podcasters or better public speakers, how can we find you? Best way is to go to laurensergi.com. So first name, last name, dot com. Keep it easy. And if you check out the blog section on there, mm-hmm. I have got loads of videos, uh, like quick little communication Q&As. I've got more in-depth interviews on communication issues that tend to affect people in life and in business. Uh, yes, lots of resources on the website for you to check out. You can also head to YouTube. All of my videos can also be found on my YouTube channel. Easiest way to find them is just to search for Lauren Sergi on mm-hmm. YouTube. You will find me. I'm the first thing that pops up. Yeah, I was checking the channel actually, and there is a video that called my attention, which is uh, how to stop saying right and other filler words. Yes, I was checking a, it out. Very that's one good. of the recent ones. We talk, I, I have a few videos on filler words. Yeah, yeah totally recommended. And on managing right. your nervousness. Oh yes, 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 yes. That's a very that's a key thing. I think it's it the is. root of, of of most of the issues when we are speaking in it front is. of mic or in public. Because it's something that you need to do on a regular basis. We all get nervous. Yeah, totally. Okay, Lauren. So this has been a, a probably one of the most fun conversations and the most fun interviews I've ever had in my podcast. Gold star. Uh, really appreciate your time. I think we took actually we took we took a little bit longer than than expected for the recording, uh, but that Whoops. means there was a lot of valuable information to be shared, and we got it all here recorded. So for those listening, all the links to Lauren's book and her website and her YouTube channel are going to be in the show notes. So go check them out. And Lauren, uh, I think we are probably going to have you for another episode in the future because we get a lot of complaints and concerns from our <laughs> clients and we want to tackle those. And I'm sure um, public speaking skills and, and the related areas, which is uh, your your area of expertise, are going to help them a lot. So looking forward Wonderful. to talking to you in a future episode. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it, too. Thanks for tuning in to the Talking Silkworm podcast. We hope today's episode is valuable to your journey towards building your audience by using the power of your voice. Remember to follow us on social media for more insights, updates, and behind-the-scenes content. Find us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out to us at info at TalkingSilkworm.com. We'd love to hear from you. Remember to subscribe to our show to get the latest episodes and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. We'll see you in the next episode.